politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for life, liberty, property, and all that matters to society, economy, and our ability to even survive here at CR Podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here today, November 9th. It is Thursday, marching towards the end of the week, and we still have so much we did not cover. You know, October 7th, the massacre in Israel... As I noted from day one, it wasn't just about Israel. The bigger story, at least globally, is that immediately in its aftermath, every single major city, and even some smaller cities in every major Western country, was flooded with people that didn't just support the so-called Palestinian cause, which is bad enough, but literally supports a holocaust against Jews. And as you can well see... That's bad enough, but it's not just about Jews. When you have people like that that you let in, they're not exactly going to be apple pie-eating, American-loving people that just happen to hate Jews. No, I mean, you have the biggest subversion you've ever had in your country. There is no way to bridge that divide. We have a global intifada taking place. BLM Antifa of 2020 rerun but it's even worse. This is this is a final moment that we are given to make right what we did wrong the last generation. This is the last warning that this is not going to go away. We can't wish it away. I know there's a couple of fake voices on the right that think if Israel would only stand down and they support Biden pressuring them, then we won't have so many inflamed passions in our country. But... It's like Israel is not the problem. It's the evil we let in that's the problem. And th- this is the thing, like during last night's debate, which no one watches anymore, it's a joke. If you don't have Trump and DeSantis one-on-one, the whole thing is stupid and it's just pathetic. But, you know, they they, st- they spent the entire first hour on, on f- foreign aid and the Israel issue is not about foreign aid, as I said. It's about here. It's about what are we going to do with that problem. I want to delve into some of the stories that the media is covering up. Why I think that this was pre-planned as the next big thing. Um, This global intifada. And there might have been foreknowledge about it by some elements of the media. But clearly the Muslim Brotherhood. Because there's no way they had the ability to get that many people out that quickly. Something didn't make sense, and now there's a big story on that, so I want to get into that as well as I'll just give some brief, brief thoughts on the debate. But first, you know, one thing they didn't mention at the debate, all three of them, never is vaccine injury. I'm telling you, folks, we're going to reach a time very soon where life expectancy is already gone down. They're going to recalibrate life insurance premiums. If you've got loved ones who depend on you, why leave anything up to chance? Uh, whether you got the shot or didn't get the shot, it's not a good idea to have no life insurance or just to rely on your employer plan, which unless you have a spectacular plan, it's not enough. You know, I got a family of a wife and four kids. Uh, I, I really need close to a million dollars in coverage. I'm not here to sell you any particular plan, 
but just to say that now is a good time to make sure you get in before uh, you, before prices go up. And what I rely upon is Policy Genius to aggregate for you, very easy to use online. Um, they give you apples to apples comparison of the different specs. Again, full life, term life, policygenius.com slash Daniel. So go to the website and then basically, again, they're not an insurance company, but you could find life insurance policies that start at just $292 a year for a million in coverage. I mean, if you're a smaller family, you want to go with less, it's even cheaper. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams, so that's there as well. You could also speak to a licensed, award-winning agent, uh, so it's not just a, some random website that goes into a black hole. And uh, look, Policy Genius is for parents, caregivers, anyone else who has people who depend upon them. They simplify the process and... I promise you rates will go up. I don't understand how they haven't yet with all of the life insurance data, but go to policygenius.com slash Daniel to shop around today. So anyway, last night, you know, look, no one showed up to Trump's rally. Probably, we didn't get the ratings back, but probably very few people even watched the debate either. Republican voters are checked out, and it's reflected in the voting patterns. So I don't know how much these things matter anymore. Uh, the bottom line is that uh, my biggest observation is it's like COVID never happened. It's never come up. They won't ask it. Uh, the questions, while ironically NBC wasn't quite as bad as Fox, it's still always asked from the wrong wrong premise. So, you know, the, the questions are teed up in a way that you can't delve into nuance. And, you know, while there's fewer people, it's still five is too many. Uh, you can't get a normal debate. We need one of our own to moderate a two, three-hour Lincoln-Douglas debate between Trump and DeSantis, and I'm going to continue to maintain my observation that it is simply indefensible for uh, the, the conservative movement and all these people not to at least say, look, we are owed a one-on-one -on -one debate where they're asked on all the issues and not just the abstract. What would you do about social security? What would you do about taxes? I mean, that stuff is meaningless when you ask these abstract, you know, general questions. So there's nothing to glean from it. It's a waste of time. Um, but, but anyway, they made the entire Israel issue about whether you're going to give aid to them or whether you support a humanitarian pause. And as I've been noting, the bigger issue is what we've let into this country. And it's it's truly unbelievable. You look at the anarcho-tyranny. You look at, you know, if, if you're the FBI, right? So we're told that some random conservatives like, I think the election was stolen, down with the government. Oh my gosh, we need to go and allocate every resource of the FBI and DHS to go and uncover this right-wing um, terrorism. And yet here we have out in the open people screaming for uh, jihad. And as I noted, it's not just a bunch of random people screaming. You have that too. But the Muslim Brotherhood networks that organize them that have Hamas on speed dial and the FBI is devoting no research. So, so just so you know, as this is going on, as this is going on, today, some of you might have seen, there's this guy from New Jersey, uh, Gregory Yetman, 
Um, he's accused of spraying pepper spray at at the January 6th uh, rally. Um, remember, a lot of them were under attack from multiple forces. They did it after they were already attacked by police. And again, anyone that did something remotely wrong, they got. So the fact that they didn't issue a warrant for two and a half years on this guy demonstrates there's really no there there. So the guy evidently fled, which, you know, he, he's not going to, I don't think they've caught him yet, but I, you, you can't run away from the FBI. But this is in some town in New Jersey. They have this massive manhunt for him. The small town's mayor, Christopher Slavichik, said the manhunt has frightened the community. Situation like this, of course, brings heightened anxiety. It's not normal to see FBI agents and vehicles and tanks in your community. So they're coming in with tanks for one freaking guy. And yet, at the same time, we have animals. Animals everywhere. So what they're not talking about is um, there was this guy, Paul Kessler, a Jewish guy in L.A. who was beaten to death at a PLO rally. He was a counter-protester. And they identified the guy that did it, but but as of yesterday, he was not arrested yet. Loe Alnaji a 50-year-old college professor specializing in computer science is the guy on camera that that uh, allegedly hit this guy with a megaphone and then he fell to the ground, hit his head. Thousands Oak, California. Thousand, Thousand Oaks, California. Anyway, this guy came to the U.S. in the 1990s, having previously taught in the United Arab Emirates. And he bought a home in California in 2007. And he is married to a Palestinian economic professor, Nada Al-Humari. And they have three children. And I'm sure they're garbage too. Um, he has all sorts of Palestinian stuff on his page. Him and his wife. Um, real power couple, couple there. And not only does he support their cause, he said, we can't jump, jump to conclusions about the Hamas massacre. He put out a video on that. And um, basically, this is the type of garbage that, that we just brought in has not even been arrested. So we have an American dead, the jihad on our soil, from garbage we've let in. They become professors, um, particularly concentrating in that profession, which is why it's just an utter cesspool, what we're seeing in college campuses and, I mean, in a sane Republican Party, this would be one of the top issues for the budget fight next week. We are cutting off visas to these countries. C- could you imagine? See, it- it's bad enough if you suffer this just ubiquitous invasion and or letting in of these Palestinian animals. And that's what they are. And then it would be bad enough if we had an FBI that was just like tyrannical fascist went after everything. But it's the perfect anarcho-tyranny. The FBI is not there when you need them. All right, they'll, they'll go after us, but they'll certainly go after these animals. No, they have free reign. We're caught in between. Oh, and you try to engage in self-defense against them, you're going to have a big problem. We need answers to this. 
There, there is no good answer. This cancer is so big. Again, it's already second generation now. I've been, I've been, you know, warning about this for 15 years, and in the ensuing 15 years, the amount of these animals we let in is is skyrocketing, probably over a million easily. So we just wave them in. Again, this is not just about Jew hatred. Anyone who is like that is subversive to anything you and I would believe in, whether you're Christian, whether from a pro-American standpoint, a patriotism standpoint. This is the biggest problem. You can't run away from this. So another reason we need our uh, citizen activists, but this is this is just unbelievable. You have this uh, kosher restaurant in, in Houston that uh, they caught a plot, uh, not, not caught, but um, maybe they caught them by now, but a group of them just came in and vandalized. They, they appear to be Middle Easterners. Yet another guy, a Palestinian-Jordanian guy, arrested for terrorism charges in Houston as in a separate incident. Th- this problem is not going away. They've suddenly been emboldened. Again, they, they, it, it was a sleeper problem. You know, gradually as you go on in life, you see the ragheads, sometimes even the full garb. You never used to see that growing up, and now they're everywhere. But okay, all right, it's kind of unsettling, but you don't really hear much from them. Uh, generally, the Muslims, unlike some other communities, they don't cause a lot of street crime. But it's very sinister. It lurks. October 7th was the catalyzing event. And there's something even more disturbing that is coming out that might shed light on how we had such immediate organization behind this. But first, our sponsor today, as you protect yourself, you need to train and practice. Now, you got to go to the range. I just got my new CZ P10F for 400 bucks, And uh, amazing trigger, low bore axis, uh, so low recoil. I, it was It's probably my fastest and most accurate shooter. I had a great time, but I downed 300 rounds. I can't do that every trip. I can't afford that. So iTarget Pro gives you the best dry fire practice with a laser dummy bullet you put in. Um, you go to itargetpro.com. You get 10% off at checkout when you use offer code CR. And uh, I think they might also have free shipping as well. And then you download the iTarget app. Make sure you load the right caliber. So if you're 9mm, you get that. But you could get for your rifle as well, 223 or 556 NATO. And, and, and you're good to go. And you could train as much as you want. You earn it back. You basically earn back the cost in one training session. Um, the muscle memory, proper sight alignment, picture alignment, drawing from the holster. You could, you could, it, the app times your shots. It has a holster mode, whatever they call it. Um, it's really fun. It's fun for the family. Just follow all the safety precautions. No ammo around, point in a safe direction, and boom, you can do it anytime. It's uh, it's the perfect. Also, it makes a really good Christmas present if you have someone who you know is into guns, wants to, again, the smartest, safest, and really cheapest way. To dry fire practice, itargetpro.com, offer code CR. So there was an earth-shattering, I mean earth-shattering story yesterday that um, that is just unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's from honestreporting.com. It's, it's long-time 
I don't know who runs it, but it's been around for like 20 years, at least the early days of the internet. Um, they monitor kind of anti-Israel propaganda and they just debunk it. And they came out with an exclusive and now it's just gone everywhere that it turns out that Gaza-based employees of AP, Reuters, CNN, and New York Times were embedded with Hamas during the killing spree. So you know how you have embedded reporters with the U.S. military in Iraq, or now they have with Fox News has a reporter, Trey, what's his name? Um, good reporter, I forget his name, is with the IDF in Gaza. So they were embedded with Hamas, like as if it was like a legitimate thing, they were on motorcycles with them as they were killing, raping, torturing, beheading, doing their, their thing. And what begs the question is, if they knew, did their did the U.S.-based management, or in the case of Reuters, I think is based in the U.K., did they know? Who knew about this? Now, I believe for sure the Western Allied Muslim Brotherhood organizations knew about this. But, so now... CNN, I believe, and, and AP, they cut all ties with these contractor reporters they have because they want to just cover it up. But this is a really big deal. This one guy, Hassan Eslaya, who works for AP and CNN, deleted evidence of his involvement in the assault. But, you know, the, the stuff is already there, the photos. But anyway... Eslaya was, there's a picture of him embracing Yaha Sinwar, who's the number one guy of Hamas in Gaza, not in Qatar, but the operational guy in Gaza. Um, and in the hours following the expose, new material is still coming to light. So th th this is not like, okay, I'm just covering Gaza. You participated in an act of terrorism. This is a big story, and I think it's going to come out that there are elements of the media and the Muslim Brotherhood that knew about it ahead of time because these guys were out organized in the streets demonstrating while they were still in the communities killing people. And by the way, in terms of what they did, just so we kind of have this straight, there's new graphic details from um, testimony before – you know, an Israeli inquiry, this from Haaretz, the, I think the largest uh, daily publication in Israel. So this guy, this, um, this is from a woman or a girl who survived. They bend someone down and then I realized, talking about Hamas guys, they were going to rape her and just transfer her to another who was in uniform, like a Hamas camo uniform she was alive when she was raped she was on her feet and bleeding from her back he pulled her hair he shot her in the head while he was raping her didn't even lift his pants they cut the breast off and literally played with it as they walked away they held someone's head a show of strength like a woman walking with a handbag and then they hung it out hung out with it in addition police collected testimonies from dozens of zaka members that's kind of the forensic um NGO that Israel has that tries to collect the DNA and body parts for a, a Jewish burial. So they they collected testimony of people who said that they found naked women with injuries and their genital, genitals mutilated, including women shackled naked in the lower part of their bodies. Um, and there's a lot more where that came from. But anyway, j just so you know, 
that the people rampaging in the streets, it's not just, okay, there's an ignorance about the history, about right and wrong and whatever. It's they support that and they want more of it. It's unbelievable. This is really the biggest story of the past month. All of this stuff going on, just truly, truly, truly unbelievable. And it's not done. It's not done. But instead, our government is busy trying to subvert Israel. I'm telling you, a lot of people thought, oh, Israel did it on purpose. I'm like, you're right to be suspicious, but it's the other way around. Right? You don't see this mass demonstration in the streets of you got to give money to Israel or something. Like, that's not the new current thing. It's the Palestinian civilians and cause, which is the new thing. And by the way, in the testimonies they show, in the videos, there's there's 50,000 hours, they said, worth of videos they have because they didn't hide it. The people that did the most brutal things, worse than the Hamas agents who kind of had a specific mission to take back people so they can negotiate you know, what they're trying to do, the kidnapping, but the rape and torture, it was done by Gaza civilians came in and did that in droves. You know, once the Hamas guys made it so-called safe for them to come in. One other story I want to focus on before we get to our special guest. Um, Brazil nabs Hezbollah operatives said to be planning attacks on, on the Jews. Basically, uh, Israeli intelligence informed the Brazilian uh, federal police that Hezbollah was orchestrating a massive attack against Jewish targets on soil. If you remember, the biggest attack against Jews outside of Israel was in the 90s. The Jewish Community Center was bombed by Hezbollah in Argentina, killed over 80 people. So they were planning something similar in Brazil. And again, Hezbollah has massive operations in our hemisphere, um, including on our soil. I told you the used car lots are owned by Shiite immigrants in America, are funneling money to Hezbollah and Hamas. And, uh, you know, while we pissed around in the Middle East, you know, for so long, we should have let Israel take care of the Middle East and us to worry about foreign policy in our hemisphere and then immigration not let them in our country. Instead, we let them in droves. We ignored, we allowed Latin America to fall to all these evil forces. We pissed around in the Middle East and then restrained Israel for four decades and then uh, pushed on them the two-state solution crap. Everything exactly opposite. But anyway, I want to get to our special guest to talk about this global intifada, what we're seeing in the streets, in the communities, uh, our interviews today is sponsored by Barrel Buddy. Um, you don't need Barrel Buddy to clean your gun after dry fire, but after you do go to the range, it does get dirty. I'm actually going to clean my CZ for the first time, probably after the next, uh, you know, I usually let it go about 600 rounds or so. Um, Barrel Buddy is the cleanest, most efficient way of doing it. There's no drip or splatter. Um, you take one of their cartridges, you get 50 of them for 15 bucks in a packet. Just make sure you get the right um barrel caliber you know the the size and you just punch it through it's literally a round peg in a round hole it looks like almost like it's not going to fit in because it goes buffs it clean very full 360 degree pressure but it, it you know press it in it goes boom push it out 
Um, and then, you know, it doesn't, it's very durable. It doesn't rip on you. Again, go to BarrelBuddy.com, uh, you know, 15 bucks for a packet of 50. You will never go back to the old way of cleaning after that, and I certainly won't. BarrelBuddy.com, great supporters of this show, great patriots, uh, you know, great product, needs needs more support, and certainly I'm proud of their sponsorship at BarrelBuddy.com today. So, folks, if you want to get a full conceptual vision of the global intifada that we're seeing everywhere, this uprising, who better to have on than Andy No, Mr. Antifa himself, not a part of Antifa, but covering it. Uh, he covered BLM and Antifa like nobody else. He's a senior editor of the Post Millennial, a must-read website every day. He's the author of Unmasked, which is the ultimate book on Antifa, the origins, the agenda, and you could follow him really on Twitter. It's very important to follow him there every day, Mr. Andy No, and that's NGO. And he kind of is his own NGO covering the stories others won't cover. And he's doing the same thing he did with BLM Antifa with all these Hamas rallies, but they're really related. And I want to get a better, deeper understanding of it. So we have him here with us today. Hey, Andy, thanks so much for joining us and thanks so much for your work. Thank you so much for having me on, Mr. Horowitz. All right. So this seems like deja vu all over again. Um, my first observation that just shocked me was that typically you have a catalyzing event that sets off these demonstrations where they appear to be the aggrieved party. So with George Floyd, you know, the appearance of the video seemed to show a cop, you know, gruesomely putting his knee on someone's neck. And then that spawned, you know, this whole protest. But here, what I was shocked about is that it was the Israelis who were butchered. And even before Israel announced their intention to do anything in Gaza, they they were out in full force. How were they out that quickly? Where is this coming from? So for decades, we've had um, the academy act as sort of a conveyor belt in radicalizing young people. And the educational institutions that people are being radicalized are, are happening to people as they are younger and younger. We see it in high schools, um, junior high schools, and even increasingly in elementary schools. Um, I think... Well, the reason why it looks like deja vu is, is essentially it's the same. It's the same phenomenon from 2020 happening three years later. It involves um, pretty much the same activist networks, literally many of the same people as well. Some elements are a bit different. But wh why has this happened? I think um, what it speaks to is that, well, I guess the question asks about what, why is this conflict in the Middle East a a acting as sort of the spark in this case, whereas before one could sort of understand George Floyd was a domestic issue, BLM yeah. had already been on the minds of a lot of people for a few years. But why is this foreign, uh, this conflict that's foreign to a lot of Americans, why are they so radicalized over it? I think it speaks to the power of the um, pro Palestinian nationalist slash pro Hamas propaganda that has been mainstreamed to a degree that's um, I don't think people really realize until you until recently when we saw uh, students and academics 
and other influential people coming out not just in support of of Palestinian people, civilians, but rather actually being in support of Hamas terrorist attacks and support of for Hamas itself, which I, I always remind people, we hear Hamas day in and day out, the, people need to be reminded that this is a anti-Semitic Islamist organization that uses violent jihadism as their MO to carry out their agenda. People really need to be reminded of that. And so um, I, I was um, partially surprised at seeing how brazen the open support for terrorism, but at the same time, I, I also needed to remind myself that in 2020, uh, the BLM Antifa rioters themselves at that time were also very open about support for terror attacks on the homeland in the U.S. for their particular political cause. Um, I think the bigger question um, at some point in the future, if America is ever really ready to have it, is where did we... Where do we go so wrong that young people could be so easily manipulated and brainwashed into being these pawns for um, violent extremists who would like mm. to destabilize not our not only our country but also um, on the international level destabilize and harm the friends and allies of America? So I, I want to get to the Islamic part and the Muslim immigration <laughs> half uh, later, but. Right now you're talking about youngsters, even Americans or in Europe, Europeans, uh, that aren't Muslim. They're not from the Middle East. They're not immigrants. And yet they get roped into this. You're very intimately familiar with the sorts of heads of Antifa chapters and BLM. Are you seeing a lot of the same people that were involved in 2020 also organizing for this? Yes, I, I am, like down to individual names. Um, Antifa currently, they're acting in a auxiliary support role, as they did in 2020 for BLM. Uh, what they tend to do is latch on to uh, bigger movements because their cause doesn't necessarily bring out the, the crowds that they would like. And, um, I mean, the goals of Hamas are very different than the goals of Antifa, one is a Islamist organization, uh, and one is a communist anarchist phenomenon. So, what do they have in common? What they have in common is that there's a shared um, hatred of certain targets: um, the United States, Israel, and, and other uh, allies and friends in, in Western countries. Um, I think the I, the danger, and we were seeing this play out, is that um, the the propaganda messaging of those who are part of this f f coalition of the far left and Islamists in the U.S. and 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 radical Muslims is that it's people don't even really. What's been shocking to me is that anti-Semitism is like not particularly even that controversial anymore in <laughs> in the last few weeks. Um, you know, before there was always sort of a lip service paid by um, the left to um, make sure that anti-Semitism was combat combated. You know, at every turn, we th there's all the civil society groups in the U.S. and NGOs and nonprofits and. Uh, in educational institutions that are dedicated to this. But um, 
over years, a lot of them have been uh, made into partisan activist groups, uh, in my view. I, I put the ADL in that. Yeah. Um, I view the SPLC in the same way. So these groups that ostensibly ha- supposed to have the mandate to research and know how to combat anti-Semitism in the United States, well, they've ignored like uh, a huge um, component of it, that coming from the radical far left or coming from Islamist extremism. So now mainstream society we don't even know how to confront it when it's manifesting mm. itself in these so huge you're all these malls. ngos that were designed to deal with this but what happens if let's say 95 percent of the anti-semitism is coming from your political allies in the case of adl uh from the far left and and the islamic mass migration of which there are big supporters of mass migration so then they focus 100% of their resources, let's say, on the 5%, but that's not where the problem is. And then suddenly now you have this unbridled – I mean it's it's shocking. D- discuss some of what you're seeing on the ground in some of these places. You're both in London, United States, covering both sides of the pond, how this is not even just kind of the typical stuff we've seen last 40 years, stop the occupation, kind of like as if it's a land war, so you, you support one side or two-state solution or give up more land or something like that. No, that it's actually like they want blood. So I'm, I'm speaking to you from London now, and in in Europe, um, because there's a longer history of longer history of Muslim immigration, as well as percent, percentage-wise, a larger number of Muslim immigrants uh, in Western Europe. Um, in the past, whenever there's been conflict involving Israel and the Palestinian territories, uh, there have there were demonstrations sure. in, in the past where um, what would happen is that um, Jewish institutions, the schools, or individuals, or communities, neighborhoods would be targeted. And so, um, it, France, for example, in anticipation of this horrible reality that they have on their hands, is they banned some of these demonstrations, um, uh, knowing that there would be an incitement to anti-Semitic violence. Uh, well, the demonstrations happen anyways, and the the violence um, and incitement to violence happened just because the crowds were so large. In London, I've been on the ground covering the huge demonstrations that have happened um, in the immediate hours and days after the 7th of October uh, Hamas attack in, in southern Israel. And what how it's slightly different from the U.S., but in a very important way, is that um, the religious element of these demonstrations is more at the forefront. We do see this in the U.S. You see, for example, where there's been mass prayers in D.C., in mm-hmm. Soho, Manhattan, um, in Minneapolis, and other American cities. Um, but that, that's actually quite new to um, to these political rallies in the U.S., whereas it's been ongoing for a while in, in the U.K. And so there's there's a whole language and sort of infrastructure built around um, particularly radicalizing Muslims uh, over this particular conflict. And one of the rallies I went to, and it's been a lot of politicians have been responding to it in the last few weeks, um, was organized by an, an Islamist group. Thousands of people showed up in the streets of London and they were calling for jihad very explicitly. Um, other people... Some videos that I've recorded um, have been various chants, 
in Arabic. And because um, I have a background in reporting on um, Islamic extremism and fundamentalism, I was familiar with some of these chants. So I had it translated and would publish it on my social media. And the, the chants would be um, at these ostensibly pro-Palestine rallies were not uh, the chance we're not naming Israelis or naming Jews, particularly this is a very common one um, about uh, that references a time when Muhammad's army slaughtered Jewish communities in Arabia. And that's a very popular chant that you'll hear at these demonstrations, as I've heard um, another time. There was a chant um, calling for Hamas um, to bomb Tel Aviv, and this was in Arabic right in front of the prime minister's residence. So all this is building up to uh, this coming weekend is Remembrance um, uh, Day, uh, co coincides with uh, Veterans Day in the U.S., and um, it could be the the Palestine protest is going forward on a day um, that is meant to be solemn and supposed to respect. Um, uh, veterans and, and those who have died in the world wars here. And um, I, I think another, I guess, subtext that this brings up is that um, with the really huge demographic changes that have happened in Europe, um, newer communities who have their own identity around, let's just say in this case, Islam, they're not going to resonate around um, a patriotic British cause, for example, or patriotic French or German cause. Um, I think uh, these societies, governments are really grappling with what does it mean to be a British citizen? Current and previous governments, for example, have defined it around things like diversity and tolerance and multiculturalism. Yeah. But when you have that as a narrative for identity versus a, a narrative of um, uh, uh, conquest and um, victory and and um, goals for the current life and the afterlife in Islam and a, a common origin story. It's I don't see how it can really compete with that, which is why we're seeing we've seen um, so many radicalized Muslims uh, in the West, uh, in Europe in particular, and. Um, and why they reject the the host society that their family they or their families came to. So, you know, it's interesting. You you reference the fact. Obviously, you've seen it in both cases in London and in the United States, and how obviously Europe is a step ahead of us. And they've always been in terms of concentration and numbers of of these Middle Eastern immigrants. And you you see more of a religious flavor there. Whereas ours look a little bit more like Antifa, but increasingly that's changing. Do you? Because because again, I like like you. I saw every time that it, it you had something in flame in the Middle East with some sort of war in Israel, you'd have these massive demonstrations in Europe, and then in America they were kind of like smaller. But now it's much bigger here, much more ubiquitous. Do you see us as constantly 10 years behind that we always get there? Or do you believe that, you know, structurally, institutionally, there's something in America that will prevent us from becoming like Europe? I, because the U.S. is just so geographically big and spread out, we we, we often don't see um, 
in the same stock way as in Europe, like the consequences of failed integration and mass immigration. However, footage in recent weeks that came out of Michigan, Dearborn, um, do look like scenes reminiscent of uh, things that we've seen currently and in the past in Europe. Um, at the demonstration, um, the official main one in the days after some sort in Dearborn, uh, there were speakers on stage who explicitly said that Hamas is not a terror organization. I think what's um, what people need to view as uh, huge trouble for for America presently and in the future is that this coalition that the Islamists and radical um, uh, Muslims are building with the left and far left are really crystallizing in ways that are, um, in my view, actually quite destabilizing. Um, you, I mean, we just had somebody who was uh, died of a of a homicide in in Los Angeles related in the context of a, a Jewish elderly Jewish man who was uh, killed at a pro Palestine demonstration in in Thousand Oaks. Um, we've had. A woman of Arab background. I'm not sure if she's an immigrant um, in in the Midwest. I'm trying to remember what state it was. Um, who crashed her car oh, in allegedly? Yep. Yes, in Indiana, who allegedly crashed her car into what she thought was a Jewish school, and so, yep. like, and also the Daily Mail the, reports she's from Jordan. I don't know if that's been confirmed, but but again, I mean, we brought in a lot of these people, and it's not just that. You know, they have values that are different from ours, but almost like a lot of them, they're willing to fight for it. And that's what's so scary that in the United States, that's this has been much quieter as demographically they've been filling up more communities, bringing more and more. Um, you, but you didn't see the European style public pro jihad stuff as much. But then October 7th really almost was a switch that allowed it to go kinetic. And that's my concern that. We're now experiencing the Europe side. Um, could you talk a little bit about your covering this? Um, what ha just happened in LA? This this violent demonstration there. Yes. Yeah, so uh, in in Thousand Oaks, which is near LA, um, a uh, a man in his late sixties, uh, Paul Kessler, um, who's pro-Israel, uh, was at a demonstration where he held uh, an Israeli flag, and according to what witnesses have told law enforcement as well as media is that there was some type of altercation with the pro-Palestinian protester and that the man was, some type of physical contact was made with the man and he fell backwards and he hit his head so hard on the ground um, that he suffered um, critical injuries, brain bleeding and died within a day at hospital. Um, this has not received the same type of coverage that a couple of weeks ago when a, a Palestinian-American boy in, in Illinois who um, was murdered allegedly by a landlord, uh, and, and that received a lot of media yep. attention. So I just— um, And was there another L.A. demonstration outside this movie screening? Yes, this was just overnight. So that was in L.A. outside the Museum of Tolerance, which is uh, <laughs> a Holocaust museum primarily. Uh, it's rumored that the Israeli actress Gal Gadot had organized 
organized uh, the screening of this documentary, which showed um, what Hamas did in the atrocities recently. And, uh, of course, organizers on the far left and the Palestinian nationalists and pro-Hamas supporters put out a call on social media to try to shut, shut it down. They called it IDF propaganda. Um, and there was violence overnight. People were people who were attending and or supporting that film screening were attacked on a, on on American streets. So this issue is getting. I mean, as the weeks go by, it's it's becoming more and more violent. People have died now. People are getting injured and maimed on our streets, and those uh, often carrying out the acts of violence believe they're doing it for a religious purpose. So, so this is basically like Antifa with a religious zeal. I mean, that's that's what I'm seeing here, and that's that's just you know it's it puts more lighter fluid on it. Um, just going back before I let you go on the European side of it, I'm curious about this. So, you know, we're trying to figure out if our people have awoken and they're they're uh, fully aware of what's going on and willing to stop sliding into the European dynamic. But in Europe itself, it's much worse. And was this an oh crap moment? When I saw the European governments typically hate Israel and they're always pressuring them and condemning them and everything. But this was a little bit different. I was surprised that at least publicly, I've not heard them decry what they're doing in Gaza much. And they appear to be, I mean, like you said, not with much success, but they appear to be clamping down, almost even violating freedom of speech for, you know, for the American standards. Um, but really, like, you know, we're not going to tolerate this. Now, I know the European governments don't like Israel, but are they having this, like, holy crap moment that we got the problem here? Um, they are, and they felt this way at various times before when uh, there's been other flare-ups, um, and really nothing has been done. Uh, <laughs> just speaking about the UK, for example, when um, a lot of resources were, were poured into a program, a government-funded program called Prevent, when when people learned that there were all these British citizens who are Muslim who went to join IS or support them. And uh, the program uh, was meant to de-radicalize and, to, and allowed for teachers and others to recognize scene, um, signs of potential radicalization extremism well this program and the researchers who have been brought in to build it um a lot of people felt like well they were they criticized the program for saying it was because it was islamophobic because it focused too much on islamic extremism they needed to focus on right-wing radicalization so the program has been diluted for example so and even then um i mean it's debatable of how much effect it has does um, and this is only speaking about the UK? I think um, regarding like Islamist organizing, what we see is that um, those who have been expelled from Muslim societies because of their associations with the Muslim Brotherhood, which is banned in most yep. Muslim countries, they go to the West and they exploit the freedoms that they have wow. um, in new countries. And uh, I mean. In America, so, so what I mean, you're, wait, wait, yeah. wait th that's a very profound thing you just said. So what you're saying is that qualitatively, we might be get be worse off than a place like Egypt that's cl clamping down on the Muslim Brotherhood because they expel these people and we just we just bring them in. Well, also, 
the fact that America cannot pass any legislation, for example, to ban the open support of terrorist groups, mm. whereas in, in Europe they can. In the UK, it's been people who have gone with with flags that are so associated with Hamas or symbols of Hamas. They've actually have been arrested and are currently being prosecuted in the last few weeks. We the United States is unable to do that legally because of the First Amendment, yeah. and that's. I mean, you know, there are debates over is that free speech or not. In, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, people need need to be and, having discussions. And it comes at a very yeah. tough time for people like us because obviously we've been victims of censorship. You say a word about January 6th, you say a word about the vaccines or anything, and you know they 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 literally called people like us terrorists, and they still do insurrectionists. So it's a very tough balance. Because obviously the answer is you don't let the problem into your country. But now what we're facing is that when you let in, and I've counted about, you know, about 100,000 a year from that part of the world for that many years, it's 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 reaching critical mass. And, um, you know, obviously if you have kinetic ties to Hamas, which some of these Muslim Brotherhood organizations do, they should be designated. But, you know, you just kind of run run through the streets and chant intifada, um, you know, I prima facie, if you're not doing anything else, individually uh, uh, threatening, you, you are generally covered by the First Amendment, and we certainly don't want it weaponized against us. So it's a, it is a very tough situation we're in. But 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 you feel like in Europe that they're going to go full bore, or are they going to kind of forget about this? Um, I think probably um, th- they would like to forget about it as soon <laughs> as they can when tensions die down a little bit because it, I mean the the sad reality is the problem that they have with in, integrating certain communities is so big it's, that it's to a point where um, <laughs> there's really almost nothing that they can do within their current legal frameworks. There's just wow. I mean, wow, that is that is very scary, and and it's just a wake up call that we we really need to to root this out right now. And you're certainly doing a lot by unmasking this, your book on mass at Mr. Andy, no on Twitter. Thanks so much for joining us. And I know we'll definitely have you back very soon. Thank you so much. Take care. So folks, very sobering from someone who lived in America a long time, covered Antifa BLM and now is in London and just watching that, we're, we're about 10 years behind. And I think he's right about the geographical distribution of America that you know, you definitely have some areas that are becoming Europe, are Europe, uh, and and it's like everything else. I say, whether it's economy, whether it's illegal immigration, whether it's uh, medical freedom, whether it's liberty issues. I mean, you need to create enclaves that are sanctuaries from all this evil, and we have to staunch the bleeding while we can in the parts of America that we can. There's parts that are unsalvageable, uh, as he as he noted, and. Um, Look, I mean, that's the thing. A a sane party would lead on this. And that's why I think, aside from the generic illegal immigration, you know, the typical kind of Latin American illegal immigration of the border, we need to empower states to deport and start moving the Overton window on that issue because of this issue as well. A lot of these people, you know, you you do have from the border, but most of them were brought in on visas. And, you know, the ones that at least aren't citizens yet, we need to start getting a move on this. Before you're constitutionally prohibited from doing it if they're they're a citizen, and we need to get them out. The feds never will. And we need to ensure that we have states where they don't go. Because I'm just telling you, they're they're colonizing everything. Fun fact. 
West Virginia. You would think West Virginia is the most is the most remote state. The so Pew polling they track or research they they track the most commonly spoken language other than English in a given state. And you know what the number one is in West Virginia? It's Arabic. Now, to a certain extent, it's kind of ironic. It's counterintuitive just because they have relatively few immigrants. So you don't have, you know, every, most other states is Spanish because you have a large influx there. You don't. So the few you have are kind of from some of these other areas and maybe the Middle East. But look, they're putting down roots everywhere. And, you know, don't shoot the messenger. It's not our problem. You don't have to feel guilty. Most of you, like me, we're tolerant in the sense of the values of the Enlightenment, that you don't seek to discriminate or harm someone just because they're not like not like you. And that was a post-Enlightenment value. But what happens when you have a group of people who largely are extremely intolerant and you let them in en masse? You have a big problem. We have a big, big problem now. Um, and again, as I noted, in, in areas that we control, you know, there's this debate over the First Amendment. And, and I don't want to directly violate the First Amendment. We know that we have problems used against us. In Europe, I have a different opinion. They're screwed anyway. It's fascist anyway. So you may as well use it in the other direction. So from afar, I have no problem with them, you know, clamping down on it. But what's the issue when you don't quite violate yet, you know, you, you cross that line and act violent, but you basically call for genocide, but not in a particularized individual way. In other words, you make Jews feel uncomfortable. What we need to do in red areas, if you know what I mean, use that same freedom the other way around and make them feel uncomfortable to do their crap. In our areas, um, that's that's really the only way that we're going to salvage this this global jihad. It is a problem. You might think, well, you know, let's say if the Israel war dies down, this will die down. Yeah, that iteration might die down, just like the iteration of medical tyranny dies down, the iteration of BLM Antifa died down, and you move on to the next thing. But that problem is still there, and we're we're always good at focusing on an issue when it's on the front pages, but then forgetting about it and not doing anything about it. And and that's why, I mean, ultimately, state removals is the only way around this. I do think states need to, as I mentioned on Monday, Monday designate the Muslim Brotherhood as terrorists. Um, one other thing before I just end here, there's a great article by Daniel Greenfield. Just Google Daniel Greenfield. The Silence of the Holocaust Museums. The Holocaust Museums are all bought into that same left-wing NGO, Jewish organizations, and they're so subversive. They, they, so what they say is you're not allowed to invoke the Holocaust, meaning the whole point of the Holocaust remembrance and never again was, well, never again, so you don't repeat it. And now when they repeat it, I mean, literally what was done to the Jews in on October 7th is, is on par with the worst of any individual day of the Holocaust, and you're not allowed to invoke it. Yet they have no problem invoking it with George Floyd. They were all in on that with George Floyd. So they are appallingly silent on this. Um, they, they, they were like, we want to separate. We don't want to mix this with the Holocaust. The entire point of remembering something that happened at a time where few people are even alive from then 
is not to relitigate literally what happened there because what happened happened. It's to ensure it doesn't happen again. And they, of course, support allies that are ensuring it does happen again. And that's that's ultimately what we have in America. We have what this has revealed is that, as Andy mentioned, it's the Muslim immigration, but there's a good number of Gen Z, millennial, young, non-Muslims, Native Americans that it's not just that they believe in the Palestinian cause. They believe in in like the full shebang. And, you know, this is the point of of why I keep saying we need national divorce. I was recently just teaching and homeschooling my kids uh, uh, about the Civil War. And, you know, we think often and we celebrate Appomattox and the surrender. And I've, I've talked about this with the Confederate monuments before. It's the reconciliation. It's Lincoln's vision of, you know, we're brothers. We want to keep the Union together, fought vigorously, but then come together. And unfortunately, that was upended when Lincoln was assassinated. But, you know, Lincoln and Grant were, in, uh, you know, served together. They were in, they were classmates together at West Point. And it was just, you know, it was really one issue, slavery. And even then, most of the Confederate soldiers who fought didn't even own them. And it was truly, you know, something that you can reconcile. We have people that you cannot reconcile with. You cannot share a country with people who support Hamas, with people who support BLM and Tifa, with people who think that they could force you to take a medical product, but uh, abortion is just fine. You cannot share a country with people like that. This is something that we need serious strategies and answers for because there's no easy answer for that. Not only in the Civil War, weren't they as divided on, on an array of natural moral issues, aside from one? Also, they were very separate. Here, we're divided on every facet of morality and natural law, and we're all integrated everywhere. Because, I mean, even the red states, all the cities are blue, and it's all mixed. I don't know. Let me know your ideas. Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com. We're just about out of time. But uh, we'll have another special show tomorrow about guns, the state of the Second Amendment with uh, Eric Pratt of Gun Owners for America. So let me know your questions. Till then, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.